So the, the sunny weather that was forecast for today that we all had our hearts set on didn't happen, or it happened but briefly. And the 60 degrees that also was part of that sunny weather also didn't happen. Instead, we're in this cloud. You know, from the smallest to the biggest, this isn't what I wanted, but it's what I got at any time in our life. When we were sharing just before about what are the movies that keep the mind trapped, the, 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 the very serious uh, experience of physical pain, because as fundamentally we're animals and we really can't, and except with some uh, really extraordinary concentration, rise ourselves above pain. And as Matthew ta talked about so eloquently, not always for our benefit. So, uh, and with uh, uh, events that have hurt our feelings and make us feel angry or disappointed, they don't just go away. We can't say to ourselves, well, in the sphere of the cosmos, that doesn't matter. We don't live in the sphere of the cosmos. We live right here in our lives. And they do stay with us. And our feelings get wounded and our nerves get frayed, whatever that means. I don't know where the expression came from. I have frayed nerves. But they all know what it means. If someone says, my nerves were frayed, they actually understand that that's a metaphor. It's not actually what happened. And I told the story about what do you do with the fact that the, there are so many frequent annoyances. How many people here got annoyed at something today? <laughs> annoyed. We're, only, we're always about a microsecond away from being annoyed. That's how we're strung. But it's not a problem. I mean, if actually, it's good that we have active neurology. We know, do something. I mean, if we walk out and we say, oh, fooey, it's raining, we know to go in and put on a raincoat. We have things that we can do. But I just remembered that I brought a poem with me that I wanted to find a time to read. And it's a poem about things to do. Billy C Collins is one of my favorite poets. The neighbor's dog will not stop barking. He is barking the same high rhythmic bark that he barks every time they leave the house. They must switch him on on their way out. <laughs> the neighbor's dog will not stop barking. I close all the windows in the house and I put on a Beethoven symphony full blast, but I can still hear him muffled under the music, barking, barking, barking. And now I can see him sitting in the orchestra, his head raised confidently, as if Beethoven had included a part for Barking Dog. When the record finally ends, he is still barking, sitting there in the oboe section, barking, his eyes fixed on the conductor, who is entreating him with his baton, while the other musicians listen in respectful silence to the famous Barking Dog solo, that endless coda that first established Beethoven as an innovative genius. It's one of the things that I carry with me. I take very few things with me to teach in other places. I take the Metta Sutta. I take a poem called uh, um, Keeping Quiet by Pablo Neruda. I take a poem called On Kindness by Naomi Shihab Nye. And I take that particular poem by Billy Collins called Another Reason Why I Don't Keep a Gun in the House. <laughs> but it just lets you know how ridiculous we human beings are. I, you know, there's so many things to be distraught about. I can be distraught about uh, the tensions in, in the in world uh, the, about nuclear arms, about climate change, about Arctic meltdown, about the disappearance of polar bears, about 
the the uh, intensity of the flu epidemic in this country this year. So many things to be upset about, and I and here's my mind busy being upset about the neighbor's dog is barking. My neighbor employs people to blow leaves, which five minutes after they leave, the leaves will be back all over again and makes so much noise and is polluting the environment. There's so many things that the mind could just say, well, it's what's happening. Let's not upset the mind, but it's upsettable. And one of the things that I we really left this last sitting together session by saying is that it's not about being in perfect uh, ease and delight it's, and clarity all the time. It's being able to know I am in clarity or I'm in a realm. I'm mad, I'm confused, I'm hungry, I'm tired. My vision is blurred. You know what image I imagine a lot? Uh, I think about snow, snow, uh, snowballs, you know, those, those paperweight things that you can always buy in every tourist city, in, including San Francisco, and you shake it, and it's just all full of snow, and you put it down, and then three minutes later, you see it's the Golden Gate Bridge sitting there, or you shake it in, in France, and it settles down, and it's the Eiffel Tower, or it's a little old couple sitting on a bench under a tree, or it's a something that's a memento of something. And I think that that's how the mind is. It could see clearly what's going, what's in here, or it can get all flurried up by the snow. So we had some examples of flurry before, a, 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 a present body pain, a mind pain of um, uh, regret and anger and um, remorse and um, distress. And I said just uh, a little bit lightheartedly, but I, I really meant it, how many people spent the time scuba diving in uh, some, off some tropical island. That's actually what I uh, often like to do when I'm in the dentist or some long, unpleasant procedure. I really don't find it's entirely necessary to be thinking about, uh, I don't f I think the instruction be here now it's not that helpful to me in that, uh, you know, I, I, I can be there pretty relaxed, but if they put on the television with the cooking programs, I like that. I watch that. I don't think about it. I sometimes do actually bring my attention to what's going on in my mouth when it's really uncomfortable because then what I really need to do is uh, be thinking about the awareness I have of how fortunate I am to be able to be able to be to have a dental procedure that will keep my teeth for the rest of my life when a huge piece of this whole planet has people on it that have not don't know about a dentist or can't find a dentist or don't have a dentist or can't protect their teeth and how fortunate I am and what can I do to provide more dentists in the world and what are the organizations that I do support that actually allow dentists to go on missions all over the world and fix teeth? So it's really discovering what's a helpful thing to do when the mind is uh, challenged. What are the antidotes to the challenge? One of the antidotes is the antidote of mindfulness. Challenge is here, challenge is here. It won't be here forever, but it's here. I can be, I can moment, moment to moment make a truce with the imperfection of this moment. That's one way. Not grit your teeth and bear it, but abide in it. Say that's what's happening. I can turn it around and, so to speak, pay it forward. How can I provide more availability of dental care to the whole world? I can also name the particular kind 
of mind flurry. I asked about the how many people were thinking about Hawaii or wonder what I could get that person that I really like for Valentine's Day. It's coming up right away, Valentine's Day. I could do that. I thought about this, but really they like that. So I don't know, this or that. Wait a minute, okay. Being here, being here. But wait a minute, I had a good idea. Now I forgot it. I'll try to just remember it. And to be able to say, listen, we'll do that later. That's a form of renunciation. I really feel like getting to where my mind is clear. Mind gets caught in a desire. This person in front of me has arranged their pillows in a really good way. If I had done that, I'd be a lot more comfortable. I'll have to wait until we have a break and then I'm gonna fix my pillows. But I don't have enough pillows. I wonder if there are pillows in the back. There, we get caught and I'll make my sitting more comfortable. I need to be more comfortable. I need to settle my score with so-and-so. They have a mind state called, um, in the uh, uh, old text, it's called sloth and torpor, which sounds like a very bad thing to have. <laughs> it actually means that the mind ran out of steam, that's all. Uh, it's, uh, I think it comes from seven deadly sins. Sloth is one of them. You don't decide to have sloth, you run out of zeal, that's all. And to be able to say, you know, I am all out of zeal, and I'm sleepy, too. So either I'll take a nap, or I'll go to sleep right away tonight, or I'll try to do a practice right now that will wake up my mind, and in a minute I'll tell you one. Or I'm feeling really restless and worried about A or B or C or D. What could I do to deal with the restlessness? In each of these cases, I'm gonna give you some instructions that are really a guided meditation. But they're a guided meditation that is meant to develop the antidotes to all of these afflictive states. I really like that term much better than hindrances. Hindrance sounds like a bad thing that you could have avoided happening if you were more meticulous or something. If you call it an afflictive state, then you say, oh, poor me, I have an afflicted state. And you really feel bad for yourself rather than I did something bad. Because I really think you didn't do anything bad. We fall into afflicted states. And always, when I see the degree to which I fall into afflicted states after so much practice and so many years, I really have much more compassion for other people, people I know and people I don't know. It's very hard to be a person. And the other afflictive state that we haven't yet mentioned in the text is called wobbly mind. Like you really, I think it's a mind full of doubts. It might be, I shouldn't have come on this retreat now. It was a bad time to come. But so-and-so, on the other hand, said it was a good time. She had a really good time. It was very good. They learned a lot. So what's the matter with me that I'm not learning a lot and that I'm running out of patience? Most people, they don't run out of patience. It's me. My fault. That's a wobbly mind. If you don't have wobbly mind, you don't think that. You wouldn't purposely think that about yourself. Take a deep breath in and out. And another breath in and out. And we'll practice developing the antidotes to afflictive mind in all its flavors by not doing anything but sitting on our seats and breathing. Mostly, 
when we've talked today about breath and in this tradition of attention to breath, we don't manipulate the breath. We say, let the breath come and go just by itself. Actually notice that it comes and goes just by itself. In this particular period, I'll ask you to breathe in special ways for a little while and then an, another way and then another way. And each time I'll tell you what it is that we're cultivating and why it's the antidote. So let's just sit quietly for four or five minutes and then I'll tell you some instructions. Just let your body breathe itself.
as you continue to sit without changing your breathing in any way, bring your attention to where you're aware of your breath most keenly. Might be around your belly, where it feels like it's ballooning out and then it feels like it's coming back. and ballooning out and then settling back down and ballooning out and settling back down. It might be around your chest where the rib cage opens and then comes back, gentles back down to where it rests and opens and down and opens and down. Might be at your nostrils, in the back of your throat, and you can feel the breath rushes in and out. Some people prefer that. That doesn't work so well for me. I feel it more around my rib cage and my belly. But the people who feel it at their nostrils can feel a difference in the temperature of the in-breath and the out-breath on a cool day. Wherever it works for you to pay attention keenly to the breath arising and then passing away, just in its own normal rhythm. Perhaps you'll notice that there's a way in which the breath seems to complete itself. There's stillness, and then the breath arises and goes through changes passes away and disappears and then begins again, goes through all its changes. And just for some moments, the body's completely still and then there's the next breath. Wherever you're paying attention to it, as you continue to sit and pay attention, See if you can notice the very moment of the inception of the breath, like breath out of stillness, breath arises, goes through changes, and disappears. Arises, goes through changes, and disappears. See if you can notice that very moment You might even be able to notice the very moment at which an in-breath begins and disappears, and an out-breath begins and then disappears. That the breath isn't really one thing at all. It's an in-breath and then an out-breath. And some people can feel both the in-breath and the end of it and the out-breath and the end of it. So they have four discrete points in the breath to attend to. The moment it starts, the moment the in-breath ends, the moment the out-breath begins, and the moment the out-breath ends. They're very precise moments, and the closer you look at them, the more they seem 
really hard to pinpoint right now. Let's just sit like that and try to stay with those either two or four points because they are hard to discern and they require a keen, keen attention. And when you bring that keen, keen attention, it wakes up the mind. So it's the antidote to sleepiness and to torpor. Let's just sit that way. Try to wake up the mind just by paying very, very close attention. And we'll move along. And if you like that experience, you can try it anytime that you're sitting. It makes your your, uh, awareness more acute. Take a deep breath in and blow it out. And both the deep breath in and the blowing it out bring energy into your mind and body. Take another deep breath in and blow it out. An even deeper breath in and blow it out. And then smile. A really strong smile. We can't breathe quite so fully. But a steady smile on a lot of oxygen from the breathing wakes up the body. And you can sometimes feel it really trembling with energy. And then relax the smile and relax your body. And feel how your body probably, I'm guessing, feels awake and a little bit trembly and bubbly with, with energy.
Now as you sit, the energy begins to subside, noticing that for the next two or three minutes, take slightly longer but not intense breaths in and out. Easy breath, just a wee bit longer than a normal breath, and hold it a wee moment longer, and then let it out slowly and easily, no blowing, just letting it out slowly and easily. When the breath is out, let it stay out just a wee bit longer than is its natural. (coughs) Let the breath breathe by itself. You just hold it a wee bit longer at each end. Now let the breath be just at its normal rate, coming and going and not extending. Try to be continuous in your awareness through arising, passing away, being still a moment, the next breath coming in. Allow 10 breaths to on their own arise and pass away. Count on your fingers so you don't have to remember where you are.
moves it quietly. If you get sleepy in this next period of time, either stand up where you are, just stand there for a while, feeling your body breathe, and then sit back down, or stay sitting and open your eyes, and look outside. You don't have to look for something. Just let the outside come in. The fading afternoon sun, the blowing trees, the shades of green, the winter afternoon twilight, You can sit or stand, or stand and then sit back down if you want to, or stand the whole time. Be awake in the space. I say to myself, as I sit or stand, I say to myself, I'm here. I'm awake.
I'm just thinking about my own process as I feel in this last half hour of sitting that the room is very, very still. And we've just been here one day. And some people, it's their first day of meditation. And it's unusually still. Of course, I also know that everybody has a balloon over their head. And in their balloon is all kinds of different stuff. Sometimes I like to imagine what it would be if we could actually see into other people's balloons. Not only the balloon with the signs of past history, but the balloon of what's going on right now, whether it's Zs or volcanoes or swaying palm trees in the breeze. Was it helpful to do the meditation doing the breath this way and that way and this way and that way? Did you notice particular things? Anybody wants to share something about that? Was your, was your continued sitting after that different than before it? I liked the wee bit deeper and wee bit, you know, the whole process doing a wee bit more. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, it felt really energizing because I was getting really tired and um, it just made me be that much more present with the whole process. Mm -hmm. What's your name? Cindy. Cindy. Thank you very much, Cindy. Uh, I. I think that actually every time there's an instruction that says do this, where you have to do something, like it like wakes up the mind, um, it has a task to do. And that wakes it up, not to speak of the particular different flows of oxygen or whatever, the wee bit more oxygen, but the wee bit more effort wakes it up. There's somebody, thank you very much, Cindy. Somebody back there. Hi, my name's Elaine. And I found that when I incorporated the sort of this way, that way, and the movement, and then also sort of breathe in, breathe out, then I was much, the th thoughts coming in didn't come in mm -hmm. as much because I was kind of focused on doing these other things. Mm -hmm. So it helped me kind of keep those more at bay mm -hmm. by doing the movement. I think that's fine, Elaine. I think that what, what you're really outlining in a, uh, in a specific way, but we, we could make larger into a generic way, is when the mind is more focused, it seems more spacious. And all of these um, afflictive thoughts, I need more of this and less of that, and less of that, and you know, I need this, I need that, don't seem to get a toehold. You're too busy for them. The, um, that's because you're really awake in those moments. Uh, the Tibetans have lovely expressions for things. And they like to say, all afflictions are self-liberating in the great space of awareness. I love that. I think to myself, if I make my mind, uh, or if I enable my mind to settle by itself into a space of spacious, just resting, pregnant, plangent awareness, that the it'll be just the, the, the spaciousness of it will make it hard for me to f 
get hold of any of those stories that float by. Want to think about me? Want to think about me? Want to think about me? No, I, I, I can't quite catch that story. And I have no walls to hang it up on and look at it. Cause Do you remember in um, Alice in Wonderland, when Alice falls down a rabbit hole in the beginning, and then she has a series of uh, confounding episodes that are brought on where, that are brought on by following instructions, like on bottles of of bottles of something that says "Drink me," and she does, and then she gets way too big. I think that we sit here kind of like Alice, and here comes a thought or a feeling, and it's got a sign on it. It says, think me. And we have to, for myself, I think to myself, my task is to say, no, thank you. You know, I'm busy now, just dwelling in a abiding in peace. So I'm not interested in that. Thank you very much. And then it comes with a slightly more enticing thing. Hey, you want to think about this? This is really interesting. I said, no thanks, I'm abiding in peace. I don't want to disturb the peace. I think it's, it's a, a, a thing that starts to happen more and more. You may have felt it, I hope you did, more at the end of the day than in the beginning of the day. And I'm like, I could just hang out quietly, not make a fuss about it, entertain every moment like it's a friend. Or a friend stops by. You don't have to urge it to stay. But you see it, doors open, there it is. But you don't have to take up too much energy with it. I'm just hanging out. One day, uh, many years ago, I was sitting in my friend Sharon Salzberg's living room. And this was after I'd been studying for a while and after she had taught me metta practice and began to be a metta teacher and teach that with her. I said to her one day, I said, Sharon, what do you think we're going to do when we're old women? So she said, I don't know. She said, I don't know, so maybe we'll just sit around and pray for people. And that made such a big effect on me. Just exactly she said those words. And there was something about them that, that, that really struck me, that, that touched me. Like, she didn't say, we'll just sit and pray for people. She'll say, we'll sit around. And it had something very casual about it, like sitting around, like not a big fuss, we'll just live like that. And... I don't think that, she, I, I think I understood the pray for people, not so much as be thinking about this one needs that help and that one needs that help and I hope this one does better. I, th I thought it meant we'll just abide in peace. We'll just kind of hope for the, hope good things for everybody that our, uh, our hearts will be so changed from our own practice that that's how we'll transform them. We keep saying we're transforming ourselves with this practice. I think what we're transforming ourselves into is the more loving, the more available, the more grateful people that we could be. You know, that... Um, I used to say, uh, um, especially in the day, we, we had a period of time, I think when I was just starting to, to do this practice, maybe Matthew as well, or where uh, there, were, there were stories about people who could do really superhuman things, like levitate or glow in the dark or something, you know, which was all very... I, I like to say that wasn't attractive to me at all. Uh, I wasn't trying to levitate. I thought glowing in the dark would be pretty cool. But I don't think it happened. Uh, even though I actually had a thought a few times because I felt so lovely. I thought, ah, maybe I'm glowing in the dark. But that, you know. But I think what you feel is just the extraordinary feeling of feeling more peaceful about things. 
like the mind gets more satisfied and more content. And it gets transformed from habits of being unsatisfied to habits of satisfied. It doesn't get to be a more perfect world. It gets to be a mind that's not as startled and reactive to it. Says this is what's happening. It does not get to be a quiescent mind that says anything, it's not my business. It's not an indifferent mind. I was before and am now, you know, committed to making difference in the world. I would have said for many years, actually, until I began this practice, that my spiritual practice was social activism. I grew up in a socially active and committed family. And I did that as a young adult, and I'm still doing it. But I, I'm, I think the part of me that changed is that I'm not as reactive and I'm not as frightened. You don't get to do amazing things like glow in the dark. You get to have amazing, more courage. I have an, a particular role model who I think about these days. There's, a, there's been a, um, a documentary made, some of you may have seen it, of uh, the Women's March last uh, January. How many people marched? Look at that. Did you march? I didn't mean to put you on the spot. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I didn't march. I, I marched here. I, <laughs> I was over in Oakland. But um, they made a documentary, of, um, which has just begun to be around. Of, uh, it was made that day. There were five video crews, one in New York and one in Washington and one in here and one in there and one in Santa Rosa, California. And uh, I was particularly interested, and in each, in each one there were a number of women getting ready to go to the march, different sizes and shapes, but, and then lots of views of the, of the march here and there. And in the Santa Rosa group, there was, uh, among the, the people that I was watching getting dressed to go to the march, was a woman who uh, was, uh, needed a wheelchair to... Uh, go out to her transportation to get into the car to go to the march. And they were helping her to dress. And uh, so she needed the wheelchair. And she also had oxygen, uh, you know, the kind of oxygen that you carry with it, and it's up the nose. So, and she's getting, she's getting dressed, pressed to put on a sweater over her head. Then she said, wait a minute, I have to take off my glasses first and take out the hearing aids and put the sweater on. Now I'll put back in the hearing aids and I can put the oxygen up my nose. Now hand me my glasses. Now hand me my hat. Now put me in my, in my help me get in the wheelchair. And I was just so moved. I need you know, the eyeglasses and the hearing aids and the oxygen and the wheelchair. And she says she's getting in the chair, out of the chair and into the car. And she said, you know, I've been marching since I was a young woman and uh, marching back in the 60s. And here I am and I'm still marching. She said, but it's not finished the job. So here I am and I'm still marching. And I thought, that's it. You just keep marching the whole life. And wishing well for other people. So that's the... I, I don't think that... Um, There was a moment, not a moment, there was a time in the early, in the 60s and 70s, when people were in large numbers getting interested in meditation, and there was a time-to-time -time notion floated that these were the people who were getting away from it, withdrawing, contemplating their navel. And I was at a conference of spiritual, uh, transpersonal psychotherapy or something like that in the city, but people went who were interested in all of the new ways to meditate. And 
George Leonard was the moderator of it. The called call this meeting to order. I think there were 400 people in this big ballroom in San Francisco. And he said, how many people here have a daily uh, physical practice, running or uh, qigong or tai chi or yoga? Or so, so a lot of people put up their hand, a lot of people, a lot of people. Now, how many people here have a daily uh, contemplative practice like... Um, Zen or Tibetan or um, uh, absorption prayer. How many people have a daily contemplative practice? And a lot of people raised their hand. And they said, how many people voted in the last election? And everybody put up their hand. And I was so pleased about that. I wasn't so surprised, but I felt very gratified giving, therefore, the answer to it's withdrawing to sit quietly and pay attention to yourself. It's actually, I think, empowering so that we can be more moved to make more of a difference in the world and do it with more of a good heart. So now it's time to eat dinner. Have a good dinner. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.